What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Beginning on National Back to Church Sunday, we've been trying to answer the question, why church? In an era when church attendance is on the decline, and I'm not referring to the world now, I'm referring to believers, when believers are finding reasons like peanut butter to not go to church, if you remember that first message, um, why church? Does it still make sense? Why does it matter? And here's the primary issue. We can't expect the world to respect the church when the church doesn't value the church. If we don't value the church, you can't expect the world to respect the church. The problem is not that the world has rejected us, it's because the church has quit valuing the gathering together of believers. And so as you think about that, we're trying to answer the question, why church? And week one was simply this, we need church because Jesus said he would be there. When you gather together in his name, he will be there. How many of you have ever felt like you were alone and that Jesus may have withdrawn a little bit from you? I felt that. We felt that. Where do you get that answered? At church because he said when you gather in his name, he'll be there. Then Pastor Justin challenged us with the idea that this is a place for crucial faith conversations. It's the best place to happen. You may not remember that. You may only remember the latter. But it was about crucial conversations. And then Pastor Eben challenged us with the internal significance that's found at the church. That's why church. And this morning, I want to bring you the last message in the series, Why Church? And here's why church. Why church? Because the world needs us. The world needs us. I hope you listen to the video of all of the things that the church has done in our world. 
There are children who would not be cared for. There are people who would not have water. There are places that would not have food. There are cities that would not be experiencing the benevolent aid that they need, orphanages that would not exist, hospitals that would not exist. If it were not for the church, I'm declaring loudly and proudly this morning that we are not the world's problem. We are the world's solution. We are the answer to the world's need. And we need to declare that. Why church? Because together, bonded together, we are the answer that the world needs. Everything is better when the church is present. Holiness is life-giving. Sin is life-destroying. And when you live after the manner that Scripture defines, everything in culture becomes better. The creation of mankind was eschatologically designed to fulfill a purpose in God's eternal plan. And we're living in that probationary period where men and women have the opportunity to choose to follow him and love him and serve him. And it's our job to make that company as big as we possibly can. And while we're doing it for eternity, we're also doing it for time. Everything is better when the church is present. Why church? Because people need the Lord and the world needs us. And I want to try to build that case this morning. What does the world need? The world desperately needs to see faith-based living. The world needs to see faith-based living. The Bible says, by oh, I'm starting to feel something. I've got two weeks of not preaching built up on the inside of me. The Bible says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, how will they know? Listen to me. They won't know we're disciples by our protests. They won't know that we're disciples by our rebukes. They certainly won't know that we're disciples by our squabbling. By this shall all men know that we are disciples when we love one another. What does that mean? That when you see faith-based living, it is at a higher level than anything this world has ever experienced. When they look at the church, what they ought to see is people who love one another, will defend one another, will support one another differently than they experience on the job, differently than they experience in their homes, differently than they experience in their communities. We ought to be able to say to them, we are here so that you can see a little bit of heaven on earth by the way that we love one another. Every aspect of human existence is debilitated by sin. Every aspect, every dynamic of the human experience is debilitated by sin. The world does not understand what love is really about. Marriage is not valued in our culture because we don't understand 
that love isn't based on an emotion, it's based on a commitment. And let me tell you something that you've got to grab hold of once and for all, that your decision will produce action that will result in emotion. Your decision will produce action that results in a feeling. And we get that upside down in our culture. We let feelings determine our action, and then we make a decision. And then marriages fall apart because we think love is built on romance rather than on a commitment. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a romantic expression of love. He died on the cross as a dynamic expression of a commitment to your well-being and that you'd be rescued from hell and sent on your way to heaven. I hesitated to say this, and I, I don't want anyone to be offended, but just hear me out. Wherever you have been in your marriage love experience, I want you from this day forward to have a commitment that you're staying together and loving each other till you die or Jesus comes. I'm not, what I'm going to say next, don't misunderstand, is not about where you've been, it's where you are and where you're going. Hold up your hand if you understand that. I want no guilt on anyone for your past and the brokenness, but if heaven or faith means anything, it means that from this day forward, you can walk in wholeness and healthy relationships. We had a, a minister in another organization that wants credentials with us that's been married and divorced three times in the process of her fourth divorce and wanting to know if she can get credentials. Listen, that's, I'm sorry, but that's the world system. Our system is we make it work. We make a commitment. We commit to the person we're married to and both seek the face of God because love is elevated when sin debilitates it, family doesn't matter. We, I've watched, and we have a situation really close to Carol and I of a family member that has walked away and will not talk, will not reach out, will not allow anyone to touch. That's what the world does. Are you hearing me this morning? That's what sin does. It divides, it separates, it ruins, it destroys. But when Jesus comes, he brings forgiveness and new life and joy and everything is elevated. Love is destroyed. Family is destroyed. Children are cast away. Jobs are competitive places of destruction rather than places of edifying cooperation. Faithless living is degrading, but faith-filled living is empowering. We believe that the power of God redeems every area of our life. The power of God redeems every area of our life. So the world needs to see it in action. Remember in the way that you're behaving, in the way that you conduct yourself, in what you post on Facebook, in what you say to your neighbor, in what you tweet, in what you Snapchat, that the world is watching. What do they need to see? They need to see in us a demonstration of faith-based living. This is what children of God look like. Are you hearing me this morning? They've already seen all the garbage. They've seen what sin can do. They've seen the destruction and the degradation. I know what it's like to take a knife away from my dad threatening to kill my mom. I know what it's like to watch, walk through all of the ugliness and darkness of a sister being pimped out and trying to get her out of there. I know what sin does, but I'm telling you that there is an elevation of life that happens when you're a child of God. This world needs to see that. And where will they see it? You've got to hear this this morning. There's more at stake than us just getting along. 
The world needs to see faith-filled living by this. Come on, help me this morning. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By your love. By your love for each other. The world desperately needs to see demonstrations of faith-filled living. That's why the church is here. So they can see in the church what their broken life outside the church could be like. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should be so powerful, so anointed, so healthy, so life-giving. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers look at you and say, how can I not believe there's a God when I watch the way they live? <laughs> Woo, I'm going to dance a little bit here. Should have taken dancing lessons while I was gone. Second, the world needs to feel eternity in their hearts. They need to feel eternity in their hearts. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we live? In heaven. There's eternity in our hearts. We are strangers, pilgrims on our way to the heavenly city. Those that please God in faith's hall of fame had this testimony. They were looking for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. And I know the world looks at some of us and says they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You can't be heavenly minded and be no earthly good. You're the most earthly good when you're heavenly minded because there's a sense of eternity that they need to be confronted with, that they need to be made aware of. It's a sense of the eternal that should be in us. There should be something in us that longs to go to heaven. Maybe not today, but that longs to go to heaven. That should be our driver. How does that help? Because the world has death in their hearts. It's been said that in the heart of every man is a God-shaped void that only God can fill. There's a recognition of loss, and they're trying and trying and trying to fill that. But we need to let them feel the eternity that we have. They have no hope for anything beyond this life, or hope that is based on fiction, or a hope so, or a wished for, rather than on substantive fact. Often I'll hear at a funeral, someone died, they're in a better place. How many of you know that they're not necessarily in a better place? I mean, let's be honest. I wouldn't say that at a funeral. I was at a funeral where someone said that once. We all know the guy went to hell. Would not recognize, recommend that at a funeral. But the reality is not everybody's going to a better place. There's eternity in our hearts. Have you ever been at the end of your rope, tying a knot and holding on? and don't know what to do, what do you do? Think a little bit about heaven. Think a little bit about heaven. It's going to be better than this. <laughs> I said it's going to be better than this. Do what you want to do now. Pull me through a knot hole if you have to, 
but I have a hope in my heart. You can call it pie in the sky, call it whatever you want, but there have been some dark times I've walked through, and it's that eternity, that hope, that knowledge that there's something better than this on the other side. And how are they going to know if we don't help them feel it? I have not traveled the world. There's a lot of places I've never been. But if you want to have a sense of what it's like in another country, talk to someone that's from there. Let them start to talk to you about what it's like. I taught at the Iowa School of Ministry yesterday. had a young man from Ghana and a young man from Kenya. I've never been to either of those places, but it's home for them. And when they begin to talk about what home like, we're crazy Americans. We have no idea. And I, we're talking about cultural differences. And what I see as frustrating, they see as liberating. And when they begin to talk a little bit, Pastor Tim, when they talk a little bit about their homeland, it makes me just a little bit hungry to go see their homeland. I can see it on a on a, on a television special or read about it in a book, but there's nothing like talking to somebody that was born there. And when you talk to somebody that was born there, you begin to feel a little bit of what home might feel like in that country. Do you know what the world needs from us? We need to talk a little more about home. We need to talk a little more about heaven, that we're going to a better place. And here's what I assure you will happen, that when we begin to talk about home with the passion that we feel for a better place, they need to feel that sense of eternity. And let's not be afraid to talk about a better place. Oh, they may call you a wild-eyed lunatic, but let them. When they feel the passion in your heart, they'll kindle a little passion in theirs. And if we're not talking about how we feel, how are they going to feel anything at all? They're locked into their despair and darkness. But I can say, listen, I know that this is not a good time, but I'm telling you, I've seen a city. I have in my heart a hope for a city. I've had a revelation of a city which has foundations where the Lamb is the light of the city, where we will be forever around the throne worshiping Jesus with joy unspeakable and full of glory. They need to feel the hope that we have in our heart. And how will they, if we're not here, how will they feel that sense of the eternal? Vicarious passion. We need to awaken that hunger in them. The world has put death in their hearts. Emptiness, nothing can satisfy. <laughs> oh, but I, are you looking forward to heaven? <laughs> Before the church got fat and sassy and wealthy, we used to sing a lot about heaven. Everybody will be happy, will be happy over there. Anybody? What is, where have you people been? <laughs> there is coming a day. Sing it with me. And no heartache shall come. 
No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. But forever I, I'm making it up now, with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Surely you know the chorus. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Doesn't that do something for you? Whoo, it does something for me. We used to sing about heaven because today we're not sure we want to let go of what we have here. <laughs> Without that hope, without that passion, without that joy, how will they ever experience anything of that sort? The world needs to see faith-based living. The world needs to feel eternity in their hearts. And third, the world needs to understand separation from God. You just had to do it, didn't you, Pastor? You know, we're going to go from glory to glory, and you had to mention sin. The gospel, what is the gospel about? The gospel is about redemption. It's a recognition that people are separated from God because of sin. In this cupcake, snowflake, whatever generation, some things are still wrong and some things are still right, and I refuse to be intimidated by a politically correct culture that wants everybody to be okay, because they're not. If I convince you that poison is not toxic, it only increases its danger, it doesn't diminish it or make it healthy. And they need to have a sense that there is something broken on the inside of them, that they're separated from God, that the way they're living isn't right. Mankind is fallen. Mankind is broken. And let me settle this discussion, at least in my mind, once and for all. Is mankind basically good or basically evil? In their core, mankind is evil in need of redemption. Children are not born willing to share. Children aren't born willing to obey. Children aren't born willing to please. Every parent knows that that little cherub of you, yours is great when they're asleep. <laughs> Otherwise, they are demanding food and waste machines. that want what they want, and they want it now. What is that? It's the Adamic nature. And you can try to harness it. You can try to discipline it. 
You can time out it. You can spank it. You can do whatever you want to it. But it will be there until what? Until Jesus breaks that Adamic nature with the redemptive power of his sacrifice and everything in their life changes. It's about redemption. Sin devours and destroys. Jesus even made note of the fact that the healthy don't need a physician. When the Pharisees came, why aren't you talking to us? They said, because the healthy don't need a physician. The sick do. What's his point? You can't help people that don't see their need. One of the frustrations of counseling are people who come in and already know the answers. It's obvious to me that our marriage problems are her fault (laughs) because I'm okay. You can't fix people who can't admit they're broken. I want you to point at somebody right now that needs fixing, and it better be your own face. (laughs) We have brokenness inside of us, and the impact of sin affects us, and redemption and sanctification is about addressing that brokenness. People will not respond to the gospel when they, until they know they have need. Because here's the truth. I can't promise that serving Jesus will make your life better. If you're in Iran, it's going to make it a whole lot worse. If you're in Afghanistan, it's going to make it a whole lot worse. Your life is going to be at greater risk and greater danger. I can't promise you that if you live for Jesus, you'll get a raise next week. You'll never lose a job. No one in your family will die. No one will get sick. It'll never rain in your yard. The snow will only fall on the grass and never on your sidewalk or driveway. I can't promise that. But I can promise that your brokenness will become wholeness. I can promise you that what the devourer has destroyed in your life will be returned multiplied times in your spiritual development. Part of our job is to let the world know that they're broken. Now, you don't let the world know they're broken by screaming in their face. You've got to, you've got to take the first two. They need to see faith-based living. They need to feel eternity in our hearts. And in that, they will recognize there is something missing in them. And it is our job to help them feel, to understand their separation from God. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he does not come to make people feel better. You know what his first job is? Is to convict people of sin. That's what he's here to do. That weight of sin is a good thing. It's given by God to let you know that there's a better answer. And yes, I'm sorry, I'm old school enough to believe that it is part of the church's responsibility to identify sin and to preach against sin and to say it will destroy you. What kind of pastor would I be if I just watched sin destroying people and didn't speak to the issues? We have 
to speak to them in a place of love, in a place of hope, but to identify their brokenness. My frustration in my life is not always recognizing my own brokenness and in counseling is to not be able to help people see theirs. Because you know. Pastor Larry, you know that when they see their brokenness, the battle's over. Now we can get to a solution. It's our job to let them know they're broken. They're not okay. My wife had a conversation with someone recently in the family and said, this is not okay. The way you're living is not okay. The way you're behaving is not okay. It's destructive, and you are not okay. Sometimes you have to let people know they're sick. You can't help people who are healthy. You can only help people who are broken. And part of our job is to help them understand this isn't about living I wasn't going to say that. This isn't about enjoying all the benefits of your potential life now. It's about a brokenness and a separation from a God who created you and finding that place of unity back with him. They need to understand separation from God. And fourth, the world needs to experience in response to that supernatural power. <laughs> I have more than I have ahead of me. And whether or not you care to hear my experience, I'm telling you that I've been around the block at least twice. I've watched fads come and go. But here's what has concerned me in the American church from the beginning of ministry till now. We still think that the supernatural is something we go to see. We still think the supernatural is a great church service. Rather than understanding that the power of the supernatural is to be demonstrated to people that are far from God, that have no hope, to reach down in the middle of their brokenness, and rather than entertaining believers, it's intended to rescue lost people and let them see there's a power greater than they've known, there's a power bigger than their despair, and there's a God who cares enough to intervene in their world and do supernatural acts of power. Show me anywhere in Scripture that the supernatural was intended for a revival crusade to demonstrate power to believers. Where does he show up? When unbelievers are being reached, when darkness has encroached, the power of God drives it back, and our world needs to experience the power of God. <laughs> as long as I'm here, I may as well just mess it up altogether. But we're more excited about people being slain in the spirit than we are people being raised from the dead spiritually. 
The church can see a miracle. We're so excited. You want to see a miracle? Talk to your neighbor about Jesus. These signs will accompany those who believe. What will they do? In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick and they will get well. Now, this scripture has been abused over and over in crazy Pentecostal circles, including those who claim to be snake handlers. If you read this in context, what is the context for these verses? It's proclaiming the gospel to people who haven't heard. It's not a faith demonstration for those who have heard. So if you're handling snakes, I hope you get bit. If you're drinking poison because you're going to demonstrate something, I hope you get really sick because it's not intended to be a display. Do you know what will happen? You're on an island, and there's a sorcerer there, and there's ungodliness going on, and you're preaching the gospel. And when you lay down a stick, a snake comes out and bites you. And when you're talking about Jesus, that snake falls off in the fire, and you suffer no harm, and they believe the gospel message. Why? Because they saw the supernatural hand of God in front of them, and they experienced it in their own world. It's not about entertaining us. It's about evangelizing the loss. It's about reaching people who need hope that there is something real. How will they believe that heaven is real? How will they believe that they can be redeemed? How will they believe that Jesus can put their marriage back together? It's when they experience the supernatural power of God through the church of Jesus Christ. Why don't we see more miracles in the American church? is because we're not passionate about evangelism. We're passionate about church growth. We're passionate about being the hottest church in town. We need to be passionate about evangelism. The gospel is affirmed with the supernatural. These signs shall follow. How, listen to me, how can a non-believer be expected to believe in heaven if he never sees heaven break through on earth. If that were our drive, if that were our drive, we would see more supernatural power. We need to walk in supernatural power. It's a testimony to the eternal. Seeing the power of God should be the testimony of the church. And will it happen here? Yes, it will happen in the worship service, but it'll also happen in the marketplace. And we come here to be inspired and empowered and built up because the world needs to experience supernatural power. Listen. If I don't ever see another miracle, I'm still going to keep believing. I don't need a miracle in order to believe. But there are people out there that can't move from their bondage without seeing heaven break through on earth. And they're seeking spirituality. They're not seeking church. They're seeking spirituality. Witchcraft is real, and I don't want to digress into that. Demon activity is real. And there are demonic supernatural displays all over the world. But when 
Moses faced the magicians who matched the miraculous. He kept going until they couldn't do till they couldn't do what his God could do. And whatever is happening out there, you don't have to be afraid because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And when you walk into the darkest of hell holes, just remember that his supernatural power is available to those who believe. Would you stand with me, Pastor Nathan, would you come? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment, please. I'm going to ask you a really simple question, both in this room and in the North Chapel and the balcony, with no one looking around. Respect your neighbor's privacy, please. But if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to know this morning that we're here for that express purpose. We want to see you become part of the church because everything about your life will be impacted by the gospel. You'll be healed from the inside out, from brokenness to wholeness. And this would be a wonderful day for you to invite Jesus into your life. With no one looking around this morning, please respect your neighbor's privacy. If you're not a Christ follower or you've walked away from him and you need to come back, this would be a great morning for you to do that. I'm going to take just a moment for you to slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Would you lift your hand real quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Someone else this morning. Thank you. Someone else this morning. Thank you. That's four. Is there anyone else? Five. Thank you. Anyone else want to raise your hand? I need Jesus in my life today. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just slip your hand up till I see it. I want to be able to pray for you. This is a morning that Jesus is going to change your life. If you'll pray this prayer and believe it, Jesus is going to come to live on the inside of you. Everyone pray this prayer with me out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven and you rose from the dead so that I could walk in newness of life. I receive you today as my Savior and my Lord and I promise to follow after you with all of my heart for the rest of my life in Jesus name amen 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 let's celebrate that for a moment can we do that if you prayed that prayer for the first time or after numerous times you prayed it here's what I believe that Jesus has put life on the inside of you what do I do now Watch for a membership class that will be coming. Watch for a baptismal service. Get involved in the church. We have Wednesday and Sunday small groups. There are, there are places that will be identified at the kiosk. If you have a question, put it on a blue card. But don't just sit there. Press in a little closer because now you're on a journey. And we would love to be able to help you on that journey. We would love to be able to help you on that journey. If you have any question, anything you want to say to us, mark that on a blue card and that will get to our team. My second question this morning is, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that unbelievers doubt their unbelief in God. Yeah. 
Anybody else want to live that way? Then lift your hands right now and tell him. Reach out and get a fresh drink. Reach out and get a fresh touch. Let Jesus pour something new and fresh in you this morning. Come on, let me hear you reach out to him right now. Let me hear you call out to him. why church because this is where you are alive and enthroned and you empower us in Jesus name and everyone that loves him said amen do me one favor before you leave look around find someone you don't know and talk to them okay just tell them they're looking great today talk to somebody you don't know